little short series we're doing called Rocktober. And again, we've been talking about the Rock of Ages, Jesus Christ, for just a few weeks here. Just look at some of, uh, some of Jesus' sermons, some of Jesus' teaching, some of the lessons out of the red letters of the New Testament. And this week we're going to look at something that, uh, a question that Jesus asked his disciples. And the title is this, Who Do You Say I Am? Now, every person on earth has got to answer this question at some point. There is a point in time that every single person is going to have to answer this question. Jesus is saying, who do you say I am? Am I just some great prophet? Am I some historical figure? Am I just some made up person? Who do you say that I am? And he asked some of his best friends this question. And, and, and I'm sure they're thinking, well, Jesus, why would you ask us that? I mean, we've been here with you. We've been following you. Well, are, are you doubting us, Jesus? And he said, no. Who do you say that I am? And, and a lot of Christians don't realize that Jesus, I mean, we know he's the Savior, but he's so much more than just a ticket into heaven. Jesus offers more than just a fire escape out of hell. Jesus is the deluxe package. Jesus is so many things. And I'm going to look at a few of them tonight. But tonight, I'm, I'll ask you this question. Who do you say that Jesus is? is? Is he just some way out of hell? Is he just your, you know, your fire insurance? Or is he more than that to you? Is he your everything? What is Jesus? Who do you say that he is? And I want to look where specifically Jesus asked this question. I'd like for you to turn to Matthew chapter 16 tonight. Matthew chapter 16. Now this story is shared also in the book of Mark, but we're going to look at it in Matthew chapter 16. And we're just asking, who, who is Jesus to you? Who do you say that he is? But Matthew chapter 16, and we'll look at verses 13 through 17. And this is, this is an important thing for you to listen to tonight. This is a very important message for you to hear. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 17. It said, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say maybe Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And so they're giving out answers of, well, I've heard some people say you're, you know, the second coming of Elijah. I've heard some people say you're Jeremiah. I've heard some people say John. And they're throwing out all these different things, different things they've heard other people say. But look at this. Then he asked them, okay, but who do you say that I am? At first he said, who do people say I am? Now he said, all right, I, I get what everybody else is saying. Who do you Say that I am. Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. Jesus replied, oh, you're blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. And, you know, we read that and we're like, that's not that heavy of a revelation. I mean, I know Jesus is the son of God, but Jesus said, Simon had such a deep revelation. He said, you're, you're very blessed, Simon, son of John, because no person taught that to you. Nobody at this time was going around calling Jesus son of God, Messiah yet. Peter had a revelation right here. He said, you didn't learn that from a person. God told that to you. You just had a revelation of who Jesus is. 
and a night, you know, and in your life, you're going to have to start having some revelations of who Jesus is to you. If you're sick, you need to have the revelation that Jesus is your healer. If you are poor, you need to have the revelation that Jesus is your provider. If you're depressed, you need to have the revelation that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. If you are whatever it is you're going through, listen, Jesus is the answer, but you've got to get the revelation that that's who he is in your life. And we know we talked about it last week, but we know in the Old Testament, you know, uh, uh, Moses is told to go to talk to Pharaoh and say, you know, let my people go. And Moses is all timid and shy and afraid. And he's like, but, 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 and Moses stuttered. Okay. He had a stuttering issue. And he's like, but I, 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 I who, who am I going to say? Who do I tell him sent me? Who, who am I going to say sent me? And God said, listen to me right now, Moses, you tell them that I am sent you and to let my people go. And, you know, we, we, we hear these phrases again, and it goes over our head. That phrase, I am, I mean, that is an all-encompassing, everything-included phrase. I am means Jesus, God, the Holy One, is everything, everything that you need Him to be. And then Jesus comes in the New Testament, and in the book of John, seven different times says, I am, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. And he keeps using this phrase over and over. And these Jewish people, they started to get it. Oh my gosh. I am. He is the Messiah. And it clicks with Peter one day. And he says, I know who you are. You are the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. And Jesus says, oh, you get it. You get it. And nobody told you that. You got this straight from God. And so tonight, listen, who do you say that Jesus is? Every one of us would say, oh, he's my savior. You know, he's my Lord, king of all kings, Lord of all lords. You know, we could repeat a lot of things we've heard. But I'm not talking about you repeating knowledge and information that you have heard. I'm talking about in your heart, do you have the revelation of who Jesus is to you? This is a much deeper thing than just being able to repeat, well, he's the Lord of all. He is that. But who do you say he is? Who, who, what revelation have you had about who Jesus is in your life? Now, if you're here, you've obviously had the revelation, if you've received him as Lord, that he is the son of God and that he's the savior of the world. But there's a lot of other areas that Christians are missing out on. And there's this old story that we've told a lot of times, but back in the day when people traveled a lot more by ship, uh, this one poor man saved up everything he had to get a ticket from Europe over to America to, to get over here. And so he gets on, you know, he's on the bottom deck, but he's just glad to be there. And, you know, he, he brought kind of some some food with him, some cheese and crackers and, you know, just some provisions to, to get by. And then when they finally get over here to America, everybody's getting off the ship and people are like, Hey, where, where were you this whole time? We saw you get on, but how come you never ate with us? We had all these great meals. You didn't eat the whole time? He's like, well, no, I, I didn't have enough money for the meals. I just, you know, I just had enough money for the ticket to get on, so I didn't do any of that. I didn't have enough. And they're like, listen, the meal price was included in the price of the ticket. You missed out on a bunch of stuff that was already paid for. You could have been doing the, you know, all this meals and everything else the whole time. It was paid for. It wasn't any extra. 
And a lot of Christians, they're just struggling through like, well, you know, he's my savior, but I'm sick though. And, I, and I'm broke and I, I, I just got all these issues. And listen, Jesus paid the price for the whole deal. Glory. Amen. He's the deluxe package. He's the full works. He, he supersized your combo and you're over there, you know. I mean, listen, check it out. He's everything that you need. And a lot of people, they're just, they're just hoping to just get a ticket into heaven. I just want to get up there and I'm not asking for a mansion. I mean, I just want to get there. Just give me a shack on the other side of the creek. I don't care. I, man, and God's saying, dear, shut him up. Listen, I paid the price for all this stuff. You're going to have joy. You're going to have peace. You're going to have healing. You're going to have love, provision, healing. All this stuff, you don't just have to barely survive this life. Jesus paid the price for you to have a whole lot of blessings. So the question is, who do you say I am? Not, well, my pastor says you're this. Who do you say that Jesus is in your life? What revelation have you had about this? And so tonight, I'm going to share five things, okay? Listen, five things that I personally would say that Jesus is to me, all right? And so the first thing I want to say is this. This is so obvious, but number one, I say Jesus is my Savior. Now, you speak for yourself. I'm talking, These are just five things that I wrote down. Jesus is my Savior. And I want to show you a verse here in Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, verse 11. Luke 2, verse 11. But I can absolutely say that Jesus is my Savior. You know, Savior means someone that saved you, your Savior. That means you were in a a life or death situation and somebody saved your life. Jesus saved me from going to hell. He saved my life. But Luke chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 11. Luke chapter 2, verse 11. And this is, you know, this is the Christmas story. And, And, you know, I didn't just... Pick this verse because I'm obsessed with Christmas. And as far as I'm concerned, the parade's over and Harvest Fest is over. So it's Christmas time. But, but, uh, but I mean, this verse, this is powerful stuff right here. And it is Christmas time. So Luke 2, verse 11. Um, but it says this, for, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, these shepherds that, that uh, the angels appeared to that night, they were like everyone else, okay? They had been hearing for a long time and been praying and hoping for a, a Messiah to come. You know, they, they were for years, well, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah. And can you imagine, you're out in the middle of the field that night, and the sky lights up. And the, the, I'm not just talking about, you know, we're not talking about Cupid with his harp here. We're talking about the heavenly host showed up. The heavenly army. These are warring angels. They show up and light up the sky. And they're like, the savior of the world, the Messiah, was born tonight in the city of David. The, the Messiah was born tonight. And, and he, they tell these guys, this is huge news. This means a savior has finally come. You no longer have to try to get to God, you know, through your own way or, or try to, to, you know, follow all these rules and, and laws and all that. The savior of the world 
was finally born. A Savior has been born. And, I mean, think about just the power and the magnitude of this moment. We lose sight of it. We, we hear, you know, these Christmas stories. We watch the cute Christmas plays. And, by the way, we have an absolutely adorable Christmas play every year. It's great. But listen, it's so much more than just a cute little thing that happened. This is a real thing that happened. Jesus Christ was born. The Savior of the world was born that night. And he, they, the, the angels appear to these shepherds and say, listen, listen, the Savior, the Messiah, who you've been waiting for, has been born this night. And so Jesus, he didn't just stay some little baby. Man, he grew up. And he did, I mean, the most heroic, amazing person ever was born that, that little night. And I mean, there's no greater bravery and courage and, and manliness and everything else than who Jesus Christ was, the Savior of the world who paid the price. Listen to me. Think about it. If Jesus hadn't come, you'd still be trying to, to work your way into heaven. You'd still be trying to, you know, atone for your sins, go to a priest and sacrifice bulls and goats and, and doves and, and all this stuff. You'd be working and scraping and, and just trying to be everything on you. But Jesus came and he did it for you. Isn't that incredible? And, you know, I think we shared this illustration last Sunday morning. But imagine this, you know, because, again, sometimes we, we just we're so used to this stuff that we lose sight of it. But imagine that there's a hardened criminal that just absolutely a, a terrible person. I mean, a murderer. And, and they're in the courtroom and they're going to be sentenced that day for the crimes they've done. And they deserve the absolute worst, harshest penalty that justice can provide. No doubt about it, we're talking about a guilty criminal here that committed a crime and they, they deserve to pay the price. And the judge is getting ready to give the sentence. He's getting ready to bring the hammer down. And all of a sudden, somebody in the back stands up. And it's, I mean, the most perfect person ever. It, it's, it's somebody that's just never done anything wrong, never got a speeding ticket, a parking, nothing. Just the perfect person comes up and says, hey, judge, can you wait? Can you, can you give me his punishment instead? I know you guys are getting ready to give him the death penalty, but I'll take it for him. Just, just let him go. I'll, I'll pay his price. I mean, that would just, I would be like, what? That's not fair at all. This guy's never done anything wrong. Uh, why should he pay the price for this scumbag over here? This guy deserves everything you're going to do to him and more. And the judge says, all right, I mean, if you want to, I'll let you pay the price. You're free to go, man. You come over here. You're getting ready to get it. And in essence, that's what Jesus did because every single one of us has done something really wrong. All of us. Many times. <laughs> Me, you, all of us have. And Jesus comes in and says, listen, I'm going to pay the price for this guy. I want him to get to go to heaven. And the Savior steps in, the only perfect person to ever live, the only perfect one. He came in and he took the penalty for all of us. That's what Jesus did. So Jesus is my Savior. And that is the absolute foundational key cornerstone element of everything we're talking about because Jesus made a way for us to be right with God. I don't have to go to a priest to do my praying for me. I can talk. I have a direct connection to God Almighty through the name of Jesus. I don't have to go confess my sins to some priest, you know, somewhere. I'm not making fun of the Catholic thing, but I don't have to do that. I can go directly to God and say, God, I've sinned. Forgive me. Give me another chance, please. Wash me. 
by the blood of Jesus. And I can do that because of what Jesus did. So this Luke 2.11 here, this is a huge verse. This isn't just some part of some little Christmas play. This is huge. The Savior was born. And so I say Jesus is my Savior, number one. And the second thing I'm going to throw out here is I say Jesus is my peace. Jesus is my peace. He has provided a way for me to have a peaceful life on this earth. And, you know, I don't have to wait till I get to heaven to have peace. And there's, there is crazy things in this world, crazy things. You know, there's turmoil and chaos, especially in our day and age. I mean, I was talking to Joe the other day. Just the things that have happened the last three months since he's been over there. I'm, I'm catching him up on news like, yeah, they're shooting guys over there. And all this stuff is just nuts. But through it all, I can have peace. I can have the peace of God. And I want to show you another verse that we often use with Christmas. Back in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 9. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. I'll give you a second to get there. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. But Jesus, he is my peace. He has provided a way for me to have peace. And so if you ask me, well, who do you say Jesus is? I've got a whole list of things I would say. But one thing I'll say is this. Jesus is my peace. Without Jesus... I would be a wreck. I'd be a mess. I'd be depressed. I'd all these things. But because I have Jesus, I'm none of those things. I have peace. So Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Now this is, I mean, prophesied about Jesus' birth way before he was born. But Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And then it lists uh, just a whole list of names that Jesus is. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. But then it says Prince of Peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Before he was ever even born, Jesus was called the Prince of Peace. And I think about the night that he was born. You know, again, I, I, I love the Christmas plays and everything. But can you imagine how chaotic that night would have been? Ladies, <laughs> you're like 40 weeks pregnant walking through the desert, okay? I can't relate, but listen, seriously, you're in labor, ladies. You know what I mean? You, you can probably get how real this is a little bit more than some of us dudes can. But so you're like nine, ten months pregnant, whatever, and, and, you know, you've been walking miles and miles, riding up and down on this donkey, you know, your husband's leading it, and you, because they had, they're taking this census, everybody had to go back to their hometown, they didn't send the government worker to you to fill it out, you were responsible, wherever you lived, you had to go back to the town you were born in, if that was, you know, hundreds of miles, you had to go there to register for the census, that's how they did it, and so Joseph's going back to where he is born. And Mary, that night, I mean, she goes into labor. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're not at home, definitely not in some hospital, obviously. And here they are. They're, I mean, I, and, and scholars believe she was, she was a teenage girl, no doubt about it. She was, you know, engaged, and you got engaged as a teenager. 
between 13 and 16 years old. I, somewhere she's, you know, and things were different back then, but she's a very young girl. She's going into labor, and here's Joseph, I mean, probably just terrified, like, what do I do, you know? And, and they get there, and there's absolutely no place to stay. No, I, there, you know, not even any of the ends had any room. And so here they are, you know, you know how it goes. And they, they go to, out to the barn, man, out to the barn. And the Savior, the most important person that has ever walked this earth was born in a feeding trough. Out there with a bunch of cows and horses and donkeys and laid on hay. And, and that, that's just something that absolutely is mind-blowing, especially for Jewish people a lot of time, because they expect the Messiah to be a, a warrior, you know, like David. I mean, just born into royalty and, and a warrior and, and all. And here we are, the Messiah was born in a barn? Born, you know, in very humble circumstances. Very, I mean, just very humble. But can you imagine the chaos of that night delivering a baby out there with cows and horses and donkeys and hay and the smells? And it's probably cold. We know how it gets chilly in the desert at nighttime and all that. I mean, just uh, not an ideal situation at all. But Jesus, before he was ever even born, was called the Prince of Peace. And I'm just convinced that that night, no matter what the chaos and the panic was that was going on, that when little baby Jesus arrived on the scene, the Prince of Peace at that moment just brought peace to the whole situation. I believe that. That a peace came over Mary, Joseph, and you know anybody else that was there because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And I think about that. That's how he was born. But how many times since then has Jesus showed up in chaos and the Prince of Peace has brought peace? He was brought into this world in a very chaotic situation, but he brought peace. And I think about the times in my life, the chaotic times, when I've called out on the name of the Lord and Jesus showed up and just somehow everything was okay. He just brought peace in the middle of turmoil. Peace in the middle of chaos. And it was just this feeling, okay, you know what? I don't know how, but I just know it's going to be okay. That's what Jesus does. He did it on the night he was born into this world. And he's done it every day since then. He's brought peace in the middle of stressful, chaotic situations. And I want to show you another example of this in Mark chapter 4. So let's go back to the New Testament here. Mark chapter 4. And so, who do you say that Jesus is? Who is he to you? Well, to me, he, he is my peace. He brings me peace. Mark chapter 4, and we're going to look here at uh, verses 37 through 41. Now, this is a familiar story to all of us of Jesus calming the storm. So, the, they're crossing to the other side of the lake here. And a a huge storm breaks up. But Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 37. And I I love this story. Look at this. Verse 37, it says, But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. And so this isn't just, you know, your boat's tipping a little bit. I mean, we're talking about, this is a legit storm. The boat is beginning to literally fill up with water. This is just a nasty situation. But look at this. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. Does that register with you? 
This boat is all over the place. It's filling with water. And Jesus is back there sawing logs. I mean, I don't, I don't want to accuse Jesus of snoring. Maybe he did. I don't know. But Jesus is right here absolutely sleeping with his head on a pillow. The boat is all over the place. People are screaming, terrified. It's filling up with water. And Jesus does not wake up. We're talking about the most peaceful person in the history of the world here. Not even a storm like this could even get him to bat an eye. He was out. I mean, I've been on boats out in the ocean before. And even on a calm day, you know, you're all over the place, man. And this is, you know, this is not our modern, you know, sailing vessels. This is an old, you know, wooden rickety boat. And I'm sure it was making all type of noise. And listen, Jesus does not wake up. Can you imagine the peace of just, just being right there with Jesus? But here he is, the boat's all over the place, his head's on a pillow, and so he's not waking up. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? And they're shaking him and waking him up, and I can just imagine Jesus is like, Whoa, 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 hey, whoa, what's going on? You know, he wakes up, and it says, When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still, or peace, be still. And suddenly, the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. Do not mess with Jesus while he's sleeping. He's going to say, silence! No. But then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples are absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other, even the wind and waves obey him. And so they're getting little glimpses all the time of who Jesus is. But at this point, they still didn't know. Who is this man? They didn't fully know who Jesus is. But in the midst of this storm, he just gets up and says, Peace! Silence! Be still! And instantly, everything stops. Calm waters. Smooth sailing. And I'm sure that Jesus went back to bed. He was wanting to sleep that night. And he goes right back to what he was doing. He wasn't, he wasn't afraid. Jesus didn't wake up and say, Oh my gosh, a storm! Why didn't you guys tell me? I didn't see this coming. No. Peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Everywhere that he goes, he brings peace. And I'm telling you, this story right here is an example of what it is to have peace. I mean, have you ever been in a situation, the storm has come, your boat is a-rocking, you are filling up, you are sinking, you are going down, it is bad, bad news, and it is not getting better? Listen, get Jesus on the line. Talk to Jesus, get him there. He'll just come and bring peace to the entire situation. He can shut that storm down right there. The disciples couldn't have shut that storm down yet. They didn't know how to use the name of Jesus or anything. Now, we can use the name of Jesus and and shut storms down. But listen, they didn't know yet. And Jesus brought peace because Jesus is my peace. Jesus brings peace to very bad situations. The third thing that I'll say is this. I say Jesus is my provider. Jesus is my provider. And, you know, a, a lot of times, you know, we'd say, well, well, how are you provided for? Well, I work at Ford or when I, you know, I, I work out here at the Bay. And that's nice, but you, need, you don't need to see that as your source of provision because that can go away. No matter what your, I mean, I don't care what your job is, we've seen that it can go away. 
you need to see Jesus as your provider, not your job. He uses, you know, your job to provide for you, and that's great. But listen, if that job is your only source of provision and income, then you're in trouble if it goes away. But if Jesus is your source of provision, if that job goes away, you're still provided for because you have something bigger and greater than that. And so let me show you. We're already in Mark 4. Why don't we just turn over to Mark 6? What do you say? Let's do it. Mark 6. Let's look uh, at verse 35. We've got another great story here. And these are very familiar stories to you. But, but let's look at this. Mark chapter 6. We're going to look down at verse 35. And so this is the story of Jesus feeding 5,000, uh, at least 5,000 men. Not including the women and children, but he goes out there and, you know, he's go, he is actually seeking a quiet place to be alone for a little bit. And next thing you know, people hear, oh, Jesus is over there. I mean, thousands upon thousands of people show up. And, and Jesus, he doesn't get mad. He just starts preaching to him and doing his thing. But Mark chapter 6, verse 35, look at this. It says, late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. I know that's a nice enough thought. But look what Jesus says. But Jesus said, no, no, you feed them. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine like, you're at Harvest Fest and we didn't have any of the hot dogs there or anything. And then one of you comes up and says, hey, pastor, I think these people are getting hungry. And he's like, okay, you feed them. What would you do? <laughs> What? Huh? What? What? You know? What? I don't know. I don't think so. But look at this. Look at this. With what they asked, we'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. And so uh, they're like, I, I don't think we can do this. And as of course, as we know, verse forty-four. Just to finish this story, then I'm going to fill in the blanks here. Verse forty-four. So Jesus multiplied the the fish and the loaves. Okay, they bring him fish and loaves. He multiplies it. A total of five thousand men and their families were fed from those loaves. Five thousand men and their families. And you got to think. I mean, we could easily be talking about fifteen thousand people here. But what was the very first thing the disciples thought of when Jesus said, "You feed them"? He, they, the very first thing they thought about was money, right? The very first thing, they're like, we'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food to feed all of these people. And that's a very logical thought, right? I mean, you would. You, it would take a lot of money to feed 15, however many thousand people. And so they instantly think about money. I don't blame them. Probably any of us would do that. We'd start thinking, well, we're going to have to call every Little Caesars in the high desert and get every hot and ready pepperoni pizza they've got available. We need to get our free crazy bread cards and just, I mean, any, pull it all together. Every little, you know, that's our first thought when we've got to feed multitudes, right, Robert? You know, if there's a shortage of food at the Thanksgiving dinner, you'll see Little Caesars pizzas. So bring enough food because I don't want to eat Little Caesars for Thanksgiving this year, okay? That's a, amen. That's a whole other story. We'll, you know, we'll talk about that one after service. But, you know, and so all these guys are thinking, man, uh, we don't have enough money. But listen to me. For Jesus to provide for you, it's not a money issue to him. Jesus doesn't need currency. And we're stuck on this because we're humans and we live in America in 2016. But Jesus didn't need currency to purchase food. He had a greater way to provide. 
Think about this. If Jesus said, oh, you're right, I didn't think about that. Well, I'm just, I'll make, uh, let's say, $20,000 appear, you know, and, and he just cut them a check, whatever. Do you realize that money would not have solved that problem in enough time? They would have to go purchase the food, and there was not, you know, food for less was not in existence, bonds, Costco. I mean, where were they going to buy food for that amount of people? They'd have to buy the food, probably slaughter the animals, start a fire. I mean, for them, if they would have purchased food, if Jesus had given them money to solve this provision situation, they probably would have been even worse off. But Jesus saw the greater picture. If he had given them money, it would have screwed this whole thing up even worse. The people, by the time they made the food and everything, it, it could have taken days to, to prepare food for that amount of people. Do, do you understand that? That money would not have solved this situation. And every time we need provision, we think, okay, I've got to get more money in. How am I going to money, 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 money? How am I going to need more money? And, and, and we go to this, but that's not always the answer. If it's a situation, we know that Jesus can get money to you. He has no problem getting money to us. But we've got to see provision as not just being about currency. It's a greater thing than that. Money would not have solved this situation. Jesus takes what they have and just starts multiplying it. He's like, we've already got the answer right here. Just give, give me what little bit that you've got. I'll take care of the rest. And sometimes you just got to give Jesus just the little bit that you've got. And he'll say, no, stand back. I've got this. Start feeding these people. And he starts handing out food, 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 food. And just all over the place. And all these people ate. And, and, and they didn't just each get a little nibble. They ate and they were full out, out of these, the fish or the loaves here. And how many baskets did we have left over here? It says afterward, there's 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. 12 baskets, verse 43, of leftover fish and bread. Jesus can provide. And he does not need money and currency to do it. He can get that to you. But if you just see provision as being about, give me more money, give me more money, listen, you're, you're caught on a bad area. No, Jesus can provide for you. Who do you say that Jesus is? I say, Jesus is my provider, and I don't care how he gets provision to me. He could, he could send food with the ravens like he did for the prophet. He, I don't care. He's just going to provide for me, and that's all you need to know. It is not your business to figure out how God's going to do what God's going to do. You're just going to say, God, I need this situation taken care of, and trust that he's going to do it. Don't put God in a box and tell God how to do his job. God, I need to feed that, and I need this money exactly, and, 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 and do it this way, and have this rich guy give it to me, and, and uh, no, listen, don't tell God how to do his job and don't try to figure God out. Let God be God and you can, you know, you can just sit there and receive. Listen, let God be God and he is your provider if you'll let him be. Amen. The fourth thing I'm going to say is this, is I say Jesus is my healer. Jesus is my healer. I believe this. You know, I thank God for doctors. I thank God for the advances that we have. And there are, I mean, we're blessed. There's some incredible advances in, in medicine, you know, in the, in the medical world. Incredible. But there's still some things they just can't fix, isn't there? Amen? And listen to me. Don't be like the, you know, the, the two guys that were in a, a really bad situation and, and they were trying everything they knew. And one guy said, well, do you think we ought to pray? 
And the other guy says, has it come to that? No. Prayer shouldn't be your last resort. It's come to prayer. Oh my gosh, we are in bad shape. No. Prayer needs to be the first thing. If you are sick, go to Jesus. Very first thing. You know, fine, set up an appointment, but go to Jesus first of all. Give the great physician a shot at it before, you know, some doctor. I mean, listen, I'm very appreciative, very appreciative for the doctors and everything. But Jesus is my first source. Jesus is my healer. So we're already in Mark 6. Why don't we just go back to Mark 1 and look at another story. Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 40 through 42. Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 42. And so, Jesus, man, he is everything that you need him to be. And so many people just let him be their savior. Why don't you let him be your healer too? Why don't you let him be your provider? Why don't you let him be your your, your prince of peace? Why, Why not? Why just let him be your ticket into heaven? He wants to be your healer too. Mark chapter 1. Starting at verse 40, it says, A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. And if you had leprosy, you would understand this. He said, If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. And so this guy, he knew Jesus had the ability, but he just didn't know if Jesus had the will to do it. He He didn't know what the will of God was at this point in time. But Jesus says something profound, and this exact same scenario is repeated, I mean, I should count up, but many times throughout the four Gospels. A lot of times, somebody came and said, Jesus, I know you can do it if you're willing. And Jesus says this every single time, 100% of the time. Verse 41, move with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. And so, Jesus, in this situation, he says, I am willing. So listen to me. Jesus wants to heal you. Jesus wants you to be healthy. He wants you to be healed. He doesn't want, what type of parent, what type of friend would want to see somebody they care about sick and suffering and, and, and miserable? No, you wouldn't be a good friend, brother, father, anything if you wanted to see a loved one suffering. And 100% of the time, Jesus said, oh, I'm willing. Now, does every single person in the world that prays get healed? No. Why? I don't know. I'm not going to judge why every single person doesn't get it. But listen to me. I know a whole lot of people that have received life-changing, undeniable miracles and they have prayed. And I was a story that I very recently heard. This is an incredible story that I'm going to share with you. Uh, Kenneth Copeland just shared this. This is a very recent story. It happened, it happened in 2015. But there's a, a church over there. Uh, I think it's in Kenya. But they, they average about 150,000 people on Sundays. They have a stadium that seats 50,000 people. And they fill it up three times every single Sunday. And Kenneth Copeland preached there last year. Every single person there, you know, they're just standing room only, turning people out the door. This is a huge church. Every Sunday. And so one of the pastors there, uh, he asked, he you know, there's a lot of wars and bad things over there. So many years ago, he got shot in the elbow by, you know, the bad guys or whatever. And it shattered his elbow. They put in a steel replacement, you know, artificial elbow, basically. So he could, you know, at least have some function there. But he's been in pain every day since then for years. It's never stopped hurting. It, it always hurts. 
And so he gets this revelation that Jesus is my healer. So he, he asks, you know, for prayer from Kenneth Copeland and everything. And he starts claiming, my elbow's healed. I'm not going to put up with this anymore. So last year, he wakes up one morning. Beside his bed is laying an artificial elbow. He starts moving his arm. It's like, man, this, my arm doesn't hurt at all. He looks at it. There's no blood anywhere or anything. But this was the artificial elbow that had been in his arm. And I've got a picture of it. If you could put that up there really quick. This was in his arm. And people are like, this is crazy. This is not. And on the back of that medal there, there's a serial number and date. The surgery was performed. Took it to the hospital. It matches the records. This was what was in this guy's arm. The Lord Jesus did surgery on him and completely replaced, took this out of his arm. You know what I mean? And, and so he was completely healed. His elbow is 100, works great. And he keeps this on his desk to show people when they come into the office. Hey, look at this. But this was in his arm and a serial number, everything. In case anybody doubted, this is the thing that was in his arm. And so can Jesus only provide for you through, you know, if you have good health insurance, I'm guessing that his health coverage was probably not that good in Kenya. or You know, it just probably wasn't. Can Jesus only heal you one way? Can Jesus only provide one way? Jesus can do anything. Jesus is my healer. And I believe this so strongly because you know that I was healed of leukemia and everything. And listen to me. Who do you say that Jesus is? I can't answer that for you. I mean, I'm telling you some stuff that I, that I have revelation of. There's so many more things. But you can't just repeat what you... Well, Jesus is the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God. He is my Savior. He is my healer. He is my provider. He is my Holy Ghost. You know, don't... I'm not asking you to repeat it for a minute. You've got to get a revelation in your heart. Oh, I've been dealing with this, but Jesus... He, Jesus is my healer. Jesus is my provider. Jesus is the one that can do this. So the fifth thing I'll say, I mean, because there's no other way to say it, is Jesus is my everything. I mean, what else can you say? Uh, Jesus is my everything. And, you know, I heard Dr. Barclay say this. There's a whole lot of things I could survive without. Things that I would rather die than survive without, but nevertheless, I could survive without. Now, I'd rather die than lose my, my wife and kids, but, you know, I would continue existing if I lost, you know, the dearest things to me. But I could not survive without Jesus. I could not. I, I would not. I could not. I wouldn't want to survive without Jesus. You know, can you imagine? I cannot imagine going one single day without Jesus. If you had the richest man in the world come in, you know, and say, I will write you a check for $1 billion to go one day without Jesus in your life. You can have him back tomorrow. I'd say, you can take that, rip it up, and, you know, go burn it somewhere. I wouldn't. No. There is nothing in this world. I would not go one second without Jesus. He gets me through every single day. And, you know, I, I hear fools say, well, you know, that's just, you just use Jesus as a crutch. He's just, I mean, Jesus is more than a crutch. He's like, he is the stretcher. He's the, he is every, he, I don't hobble through life on it. He carries me through life. He is everything to me. 
And, and you know, he fulfills me. He's my best friend. And I'm so thankful for, you know, everybody here. My, you know, my wife's my best friend and everything. But Jesus is, I mean, everything to me. Everything. You know, I, every day that I wake up, the first person I talk to is Jesus. You know, I, I go out and I spend time with Jesus. Sometimes I'm late for things, but I, hey, I spend time with Jesus. And every day, man, Jesus is my everything. And I know all of you guys could say that too. But let's get this revelation that if there's a need in your life, you know, I heard uh, my pastor in Oklahoma said, any situation in life that you're suffering from, you could draw a line from that situation to your lack of knowledge of who Jesus is. You know, if you're dealing with something, that's not, that's not to make us feel bad. That's saying we need to get a revelation that Jesus is joy. Jesus is peace. Jesus is provision. He is healing. He, you know, he is a baptizer. He, he's all these things. But whatever it is we're suffering, we, just, we need to get a better revelation of Jesus is that. He said, I am. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am, I am, I am. Whatever you need, that's what I am. If you think of a need, hey, you're, you're, you're blessed. This is your day. I am that. Whatever it is you need, he is that. And so as we close out our, you know, our short little series here, Rocktober, listen to me. What is it that you need and who do you say Jesus is? He's asking you that tonight. Not, you know, well, some people say he's this. Pastor Dave says he's this. No. Jesus is looking at you in the eyes and saying, okay, I get that. Who do you say I am? I want to know who you say I am. Who do you say he is? Get the revelation that Jesus is what you need him to be. Amen? He's the rock of ages. Let's stand up tonight, all right?